Welcome to the Write It Down podcast with the 1513 Network. I'm Brooke Murata, bringing you one-on-one interviews to challenge, to inspire, and to encourage. Joining us next is a former college and professional football quarterback. In 1996, he won the Heisman Trophy and led the Florida Gators to win the 1996 National Football Championship. He is more than the sum of his accomplishments on the football field. Danny Warfel has overcome a plethora of challenges in his life that allow him to share the faithfulness of God's plan. This episode will encourage you to chase more than success in this life. Get your pens ready because this is Write It Down. Read about this little excerpt that you had about your pride. And I believe you, you talked about the good boy image versus the temptation for celebrity entitlement. So I know that's a heavy, deep question, but I think like as Christians, we have this image that we want to upkeep. And then when the spotlight's kind of on you, you feel even more pressure to upkeep that. I mean, you were a celebrity. You are a celebrity, but you were a celebrity at UF in 96, winning the Heisman Trophy. You also are super smart, valedictorian of high school. Um, So just kind of like tapping into your pride of who you are. Yeah, it's interesting. Pride is a really complicated subject because in one hand there, you know, you, you, you do want to work hard and feel good about your work and take pride in something that you did or pride in your team or family. And yet on the other hand, it's obviously one of the, the deadly sins that, that, that snares us all in different ways. And so I think it's a cuts, cuts a lot of different ways. I think the, the, the pressure of, you know, being well-known there's a lot of different pressures that come along with that. And, uh, you know, I think if you just look at the history of the world, there's uh, so many people, especially that become celebrities young, just really don't do well. Um, there's something about about that that's just really difficult. Um, but on the other hand, uh, I think there's an, an, an added element if you're kind of known for being a Christian. So I think pastors... Um, you know, athletes who, who become known for being Christian, th- there's a little bit of an additional pressure because that's part of your image, if you will, to, to be a good person, to be a good guy. And, and again, part of that can be okay. But on the other hand, you can end up becoming more attached to your image than to, to your heart and to your soul and to, to reality. What habits um, did you need to kill in order to prevent your pride? Uh, that's great. I mean, I think, uh, you kind of said it as if it were already killed. I think it's more like a, a daily, a daily battle and, and so forth. I think, you know, I, I was really you know, just part of my makeup, part of my personality, part of my family. I just wanted to be that good kid and be a good person and even tried to be humble. I mean, that was a, a, a very strong, uh, value in my family growing up. Uh, in fact, I remember one time I uh, got on a new soccer team and bragged a little bit. And when my dad picked me up, the coach mentioned something about it. And I can like still remember the look that my dad gave me because, you know, we were we don't brag. And so I think even trying to be efforts to be humble were part part of the DNA of my family. But, man, it's hard to to work hard and be good at things and and in your heart really really be humble because it's you know when you accomplish something or you're successful i think being successful at anything is very dangerous because uh 
because it definitely leads to you feeling like you can do probably more than you can, that you're stronger than you are, that you have more influence than you do. Um, so, I mean, I think that some of the things that were really helpful for me um, was I always had people in my life that weren't really just connected to football. Uh, I remember there was a family in college that I would spend time with. They helped work with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and uh, we were we were close after one game on a Saturday. I think I threw like six touchdowns, and everybody was telling me how great I was. I remember eating dinner at their house on a Sunday, and I got up to leave, and the mom like hollered at me. I'm like, "What?" And she goes, "You clean your plate like everybody else around here." I'm like, "Oh yeah," you know, having people like that that uh, appreciate that you're good at something but don't treat you differently, I think, is really really important. Yeah. I mean, you were also sought after by LSU, Bama, FSU, and you decided to go with UF. So can you give me like a little snapshot of your mindset at that time of really being wanted? You graduated valedictorian, as I said before. You're a smart guy, um, but you're also very talented in sports. Um, So you were kind of just like a prime like suspect when it came to being on a football team. So in your mind, what, what, was, what were the thoughts running through your mind as like an 18-year-old dude? Uh, trying to get my First of all, it's so long ago. It's hard to remember <laughs> what I was thinking or feeling. I think I was really excited. You know, I had uh, you know, always had wanted to have an opportunity to play uh, sports in college and, um, you know, to be at a point where there were people, um, you know, recruiting me and, and hoping that I'd come to their school was just really – uh, a really a cool feeling and uh, I was very blessed to have some really good options and um, and and a tough choice to make and uh, you know in the end for me uh, the two things that helped me choose Florida was I uh, was a quarterback and the chance to play for Steve Spurrier was just such a great opportunity but then secondly I asked myself if I weren't playing football which of those schools would I choose just for the school and hands down, the University of Florida would have been the, the academic institution I wanted to go to. So that, that helped make it pretty easy. Earlier, you mentioned your father. Your father was a chaplain in the Air Force, correct? Yep. And so looking up, did you look up to your dad, but also did that play a, a factor in your, your pride, like not wanting to let your dad down? Did, did those thoughts go through your mind, not even just in football, but with your academics? Yeah, you know, I would say on, on one hand, you know, I was really blessed to have parents that weren't like, I mean, I know a lot of people whose parents drive them so hard, it almost steals the joy out of a lot of things they're doing and parents that micromanage their lives. And um, my parents were always very supportive, but but I never, never, you know, didn't have that uh, over obsessive parent you know my dad wasn't trying to relive his youth through my experiences so i was very very grateful for that um but you know at the same time uh you know wanting to to please them wanting to see them happy with me um you know for my dad he's very into athletics and did enjoy athletics so looking back i'm sure that a lot of that drive for me to to do well uh was was tied to that um and uh yeah he's super athletic and in fact, uh, not long ago, he won like the o- over seventy-year-old national racquetball tournament. So, like, he's 
he doesn't ever stop either. He's a he's a pretty amazing man. Did you at any point, you know, playing in the NFL, did you feel like you were like declining? Did you feel like it was like, all right, God telling you you need to step into something else? What was it like coming off from being a Heisman Trophy winner at UF and then transitioning into the NFL? Yeah, I, it was it was definitely a different experience. Obviously, I had a lot of success in college and very little in the NFL. But I, I think um, I mean, at the time, I really my mindset was I was enjoying all the different people I was meeting and the different places we were going. And then kind of simultaneously, I was getting more and more dialed in with Desire Street Ministries and then would work there in the off seasons. And so by the end, um, you know, I, I, I remember I was driving down a street one day and I was turning right every morning to go practice football. But in New Orleans there, I had to turn left to go to Desire Street. And I remember one morning sitting at the intersection and just thinking, why do I keep turning right when I would rather go left? So I retired. Um, I may have had a little bit longer, a few more years, who knows, uh, to keep playing professional football. But um, a lot of the, the signs and the timing, we just had our first son, just really led me to feel like it was time to retire and, and move on to the next phase. Can you um, give the audience a little just background on what Desire Street Ministries is coming from your mouth? I mean, I could read the bio, but I feel like coming <laughs> from you and the, your heart behind this ministry, what is um, the heartbeat of this ministry? Yeah, well, what we do now uh, is very similar, but but also different from how it started. It actually started in one neighborhood in New Orleans in 1991, long before I got there. Our founder, Mo Leverett, moved into one of the worst neighborhoods in the country uh, in New Orleans, Desire Street is the name of the street. And he started working with youth and had a vision for seeing that neighborhood transformed and started a church and after school program. And then when I got there and started helping, we started a school and housing program. And we always dreamed to see that that type of an organization could exist in multiple neighborhoods around the country to really help bring uh, love and justice and revitalization to some really under-resourced neighborhoods. And so I volunteered. And then when Katrina hit and things unfolded, I ended up becoming the director and we shifted to focus on that goal of, of growing, not just in New Orleans, but into other neighborhoods. And one of the biggest shifts is instead of us starting a new Desire Street in multiple locations, we found that there were already hundreds of amazing people all over the country that have already moved and lived in neighborhoods or grew up in neighborhoods and they, they're passionate. They've incorporated a church or a nonprofit ministry and they are busy at work. But so many of them, uh, kind of some of the common struggles lead to burnout within five years and or even if they don't burn out, they're sort of in a just a, kind of a, a survival mindset, you know, just trying to keep going. But they don't have the resources, the connections, the money, staff. And so all that to say, it was a long answer to say what we do now at Desire Street is we partner with leaders like that and help them develop thriving and sustainable organizations so that they can impact their neighborhood for for decades. And uh, we've been all over the South, uh, working lots of different locations, kind of in core 20 neighborhoods over the past 10 years. And we're getting ready to, to move into four new neighborhoods. Do you think that moving around a lot as a kid with your dad in the Air Force, do you think that that ignited your passion to see neighborhoods thrive? 
Possibly. I think that really forced me to kind of live in a world that was very flexible, um, moving, adjusting. You know, you live in Spain, then you live in Nebraska, and then you live in South Carolina and Colorado and then Florida. You just, you're in multiple cultures. And I think that probably the biggest thing I took out of that was this sense uh, of being able to connect with different types of people and that there's more than one way to do things. You know, everybody spends all their time arguing about what's right and wrong. And um, half the time, it's just that some things are different and neither one of them is right or wrong, but we just can't adjust because we're so used to our particular way. Right. I think that was more of the, uh, the Air Force thing. I will say, though, a, a very unique perspective of, of my life was before my dad was a chaplain, his first church that he was a pastor at before he was in the Air Force was a Lutheran church in downtown Pensacola. And it was an, uh, an all-black uh, church in an under-resourced neighborhood that also had a school. And that's where I was born. I don't, I don't really remember it, but it's pretty ironic that I was born to a pastor in an in a inner-city neighborhood. And then years later, after this football career, I ended up uh, in that same line of work. Did you at any point resent moving around a lot? There were some times where I was really, really sad. I mean, I can remember sitting in the in the back of a truck. It was kind of a, a you know van truck type thing, and we were moving. And I can actually remember a song I was listening to moving from eighth grade to ninth grade. I was so established on the sports teams and had all my friends and remember being really sad uh but and this you know isn't necessarily the case for for everyone but really looking back i think in every situation if not close to every situation whenever we moved we moved somewhere that was that worked out well and so i i don't didn't have resentment because i think i it wasn't like i was in an amazing situation and then my dad moved and i was miserable so uh I think that helped. You know, ironically, my father was supposed to move to uh, Minot, North Dakota. You know, instead of moving up where there's ice fishing, we moved to Florida where there's like, you know, amazing football. So you think about how much you control in your life and how much you don't. I mean, if that one thing hadn't changed and we moved to Minot, North Dakota, I mean, I may be a cross country skier or <laughs> who knows, but. Uh, more that I, the more I look back, the more I recognize how, how blessed I was uh, with all the success. I mean, I know I worked hard, but uh, but I was I was really blessed. Yeah, absolutely. We're gonna take a quick break from our show to discuss Patreon. Patreon is a secure site that allows creators to make albums, videos, and podcasts like the one you're listening to now. So if you enjoy, write it down. Please head over to our website, xvxiii.com or spell out 1513.com in your browser. Click on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and show your support. Write It Down is made possible by the 1513 Network. So please send over your love, your support for the other shows as well. If not, just stick with Write It Down because I'm the coolest, the realest, the illest. Anyways, back to the show. Going back to your role with desire street i and maybe that correct me if i'm wrong this could just be me but um when you're working for a ministry 
sometimes you're like, all right, Lord, like, what are you doing? You know, you might feel discouraged or burnt out. What stories, um, there's, I'm sure there's tons, but what's a story in your mind that stands out to you and goes, you know what? Like God is with me in this place. Like he wants me here serving. Like I'm sure you come across tons of impactful stories, but what's one that like really stands out to you? Well, I'll tell you the latest one. And by latest, I mean about an hour ago, yeah. latest is, uh, I got a text from a young man that used to be a part of Desire Street Academy. Um, he graduated in 2008, and uh, he texted me and said he was trying to do some stuff and wanted to talk and get some help. So I, uh, I call him up, and it turns out he had graduated from college. He got a master's degree. He's living in Ohio, and he's the director of a charter school. But in his neighborhood, there's a bunch of kids that don't have any direction or things going on. So he wants to start a nonprofit just like Desire Street and have the passion to help all these kids in his neighborhood. And he was just asking for help and asking what a 501c3 means and uh, asking the best way to get started. And it was just unbelievably encouraging to think that here is a kid. And when I told my wife, she's like, what, Big Nick? He was the worst one. Like he used to get in trouble all the time. He was a knucklehead on the streets of New Orleans, and now he's this this amazing young man, married with a little boy who's getting ready to to, to change the world. So that you know, things like that that makes me happy to go back to work tomorrow. I tell you, um, how many countless of those stories are out there uh, that I don't even know about, uh, and and that's just exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I also do want to touch a little bit on your GBS in 2011. That's the, um, can you pronounce it for me? Because I have been trying to pronounce it for a few days now. What is it? It's, uh, it's two French doctors last names. It's called Guillain-Barre, Guillain-Barre syndrome, GBS. And it's a weird autoimmune disorder where your body senses, you know, something bad in my case it was a stomach virus and so it sends out all these antibodies to attack the stomach virus and some for some reason they go to the wrong spot and start attacking your nervous system and you slowly get paralyzed so that that's gbs did that i mean did it freak you out or were you like just there's some people where things like that happen you're like oh well it's just god's plan but for me i would be like freaking out like what's your mindset I mean, at the time, I didn't know it was happening. Uh, my body was slowly shutting down, starting with my legs. And I'd actually gone to uh, Montgomery to spend some time with a, a ministry partner there. And he's like, man, we got to get you to the doctor. So we went. And then that next morning, I think it was like about 5.30 a.m. or 6, you know, we're staying in the hood in this guy's house. And someone starts banging on the door. And I was like a little nervous. And I opened it, and it's this doctor from the other side of town. I'd driven into the inner city in the middle of the morning. And I'm like, uh, you probably didn't come here to tell me I'm okay, did you? And he's like, no, no, I came to see if you were breathing. And so that's when I started recognizing that this might be serious. And I got tested and, sure enough, had this uh, autoimmune disorder. And I remember... Uh, getting on the medicine right away. And I, I talked to this, uh, a mentor of mine. I'm like, yeah, I've got Guillain-Barre, but I got medicine. I should be fine soon. <laughs> and he's like, uh, don't, not so fast. You, you should, uh, plan for a long haul. And he was right. I mean, I was, I was down for a month, 
totally. And then for another two months, I could didn't move much at all. Like, I mean, I could move around on one floor, but never left the house. And then probably for another year was just really, really tired. So, I mean, it was a, a life altering scenario. At any point, did you fall into like a depression? Because I think there are people out there that will listen to this where cancers hit their family or hit them personally or some sort of devastation. I mean, devastation has no preference. Like we all go through it. So uh, how do you handle something like that? Did you fall into this pit of depression and like really need needed people to come alongside of you? Like, how would you describe that? For me, you know, the first part was so intense with all the things happening. It was, you know, more just crazy. Um, and then, you know, the same mentor, you know, uh, I bought a, an iPad. I got my first iPad back then in 2011. And and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to watch every movie that I've never seen that I want to see. And the same mentor said to me, he said, Danny, don't waste this time. And that it just stuck with me. And so I, one, the one thing I really did was I made a decision not to distract myself in this illness and to just sit, be still, journal, reflect, pray. And um, that was really a difficult time. I think the Lord began to show me more le- levels of, of my own, you know, kind of false self uh, and kind of false humility and so forth. And so it began to really kind of go go deeper and some really spiritual moments um, that were hard, but good. Uh, and I think, you know, it's just so easy whenever we're uncomfortable to just distract ourselves. Like we live in the most distractible time era in the history of the world. I mean, you, you sit for, you know, 30 seconds in line at the grocery store and you, you, you're on your phone, you know, almost everyone all the time and so there's no being still and just sitting with yourself which can be really difficult which is why i think we don't i think to kind of further answer your question that the bigger challenge for me came when kind of this thing lingered on and then life started and then i was getting back to life and just getting back to work and you know you know kind of family was done with me being sick and the you know, and then yet I was still tired and didn't didn't have the energy I needed for everything, and that was really hard um, because for me I, I couldn't be who I needed to be for other people, which I think so often is part of how I get my identity and my and my you know more false level of self is pleasing people and getting affirmation. So when I was tired and letting people down. You know, a year later, that was actually a, a, a more difficult thing to deal with as well. Yeah. You, you mentioned, you know, sitting and reflecting. Do you think people are, are scared of self-reflecting? Do you think they're afraid of what they're going to find out about themselves? Well, I would think so. Uh, I think uh, that's a pretty, pretty common thing. Uh, one of the philosophers said, you know, all the wars... And history could probably have been avoided if men would have just learned to sit alone in a room for 30 minutes, uh, which is a pretty profound thing to say. But, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, none of us are typically uh, developed well to deal with negative emotion. And we all have a gazillion different ways that we sort of avoid it. And so then you begin stuffing a lot of negative things and negative emotion and pretending or overreacting and, 
Um, and then over time you just sort of build up all these things. And I think that just, it's, it's easier to kind of keep moving forward than to look behind and see what you've picked up. Somebody said, we all start off with like a dragging a bag and just over time, it just accumulates more and more and more stuff. But rather than sort of go back and look through it and clean it out, we just keep walking and dragging more and more. I thought that was a pretty good illustration. Yeah, it definitely is. I um, read a part of your blog, your Fear Not blog, and I, I kind of want to read a little excerpt from that, but I but I partnered that with a question. You said, we are to love and serve others, but sometimes when we are working hard to do that, we lose sight, and our goal becomes the end of all disease and disaster when it is instead to point those we serve to God. When you're writing, what what is igniting you to say that? So when people write a blog or they write a book, there's normally a scenario they're pointing to in their mind when they talk about that. So what in your life was your fear? Well, I mean, I think, uh, you know, trying to be successful in ministry, uh, you, you know, and in what we do, you're trying to see lives, kids' lives changed, and you're trying to see neighborhoods changed. And so that becomes the goal, right? That becomes what success is, is how do we be successful in accomplishing that goal? But then so often we're kind of thinking that we're going to get that done and we're going to make that happen. And and so often you're just kind of eliminating God from that situation. And, you know, we're not the teacher. We're not the savior. We're not you know, the, the, the physician, you know, we're just sort of like preparers for when the teacher shows up or the physician or the savior. I think that's really our job is to kind of, in, in relationships with people, do the things we can to get them as, as, as ready as they can be so that when, when that moment comes, they, they can experience it and move forward on their own. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think that's, that's where that comes from. Yeah, I think most people, they view like disaster or depression or anything that they go through as the end-all be-all and not as a vehicle for God to show up. Would you say that you see that a lot with the people that you help out with Desire Street? I mean, yeah, yeah, that's really what you're trying to do. Um, You know, I think, you know, our mission is to kind of blend the spiritual and community development. So, part of, you know, to me, there's sort of a mixed two goals in one, you know, one is to help people recognize uh, the love and the the connection that they can have in God through Christ and let them experience that on their own and and bring them to that as many times as you can so we can all be nourished from that well. But at the same time, you know, to see God's love play out in the world, there, there are some things that just aren't right or fair that I think grieve God's heart. And so, you know, for a, a kid to grow up in a neighborhood where the school system is so bad that they they don't learn to read, I think grieves God's heart. And so to, to be able to simultaneously help that person not just learn about the love of God, but see that love of God in action as it relates to helping them read and have a change of life, you know, that that's that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we're coming to that point with the write it down moment. So what is something that you want the audience to take away? What's that write it down little tidbit that you have? 
Well, I mentioned a minute ago uh, this this idea of trying to be successful in ministry, and I think um, we're all kind of creating these goals in life. Uh, it may be with our families. It may, you know, if we're in school, what we're trying to accomplish, or in our careers. And uh, I've just spent so many time with so much time with people that have been so successful, uh, and yet are are so lost uh, in so many ways. And so I, I think. You know, first of all, um, I may give you two. I'm going to give you two write-it-down moments that that relate to success. The first one is that God, I think, uh, cares less about success and more about faithfulness. Mm. And and my role is to be faithful in what I've been called to do and and let the success be defined by God and and played out another time. So I think write-it-down number one is God cares more about faithfulness than success. Uh, and then number two is, uh, I think as we journey in our life and we're so addicted to success, at some point, uh, we hope that we can make a turn and start uh, moving from success to significance. And success can be defined by money and wins and statistics, but significance to me is 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 our, our how much are we impacting other people's lives, the quality of our relationships living for a cause greater than ourself. So I think it's, it's that transition. Um, one of the, so here's your, here's your line. You know, uh, one of the greatest moments in life is when we switch from shooting for success and strive for significance. Mm, I love that. I love both of those write-it-downs. I got two. I struck gold <laughs> with Danny Warfel. That's awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time in doing this hopping on the show and um, giving us so much, not even just to write it down, but so much knowledge and wisdom. And um, you are super transparent in what God's done in your life. And it's definitely a, an encouragement to my life. So I really appreciate it. Well, happy to be a part of it, Brooke. Keep up the great work. God bless you. Thank you. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Write It Down podcast. This podcast is a part of the 1513 Network. You can catch a variety of shows on their website, 1513.com. If you enjoy listening to Write It Down, please subscribe, share with your friends, and if there's any ink left in your pen, write a review. For more content, follow the fun on Instagram by following at W-I-D-P-O-D. That spells WIDPOD. Super cool. Stands for Write It Down Podcast, but it's abbreviated to WIDPOD. Anyways, thanks for listening, and we will catch you later.